Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here, and we are back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio, and we have a very exciting show today. We have Jason Tenpao, who's going to talk to us today about customer service and experience. And he actually has an interesting background from his first job that inspired him to want to be involved with customer experience. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But first, a couple of quick announcements we do before every interview. If you've got a story about amazing customer service that you'd like to share, or you have a question, uh, just send it to me on any of the social media channels that you would normally be on, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and more because I'll be there. If you use the hashtag ask Shep, I'll answer the questions either right there in this show or on my TV show, which is be amazing or go home. Episodes can be found on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon prime, C-suite TV. And now we've put them on YouTube. If you just go to be amazing.tv, you can watch some of the latest episodes. We've had some great interviews from people that come in from all over the world. All right, so it's time to get into today's interview on Amazing Business Radio, and I love somebody like Jason. So Jason Tenpao's passion for customer experience, as I mentioned, was sparked in his first job. As a teenager, he worked at the meat counter, I guess really behind the meat counter, uh, uh, with, and, and this is what kicks me here, uh, the carnival-themed grocery store. I need to find out more about that. And today he is the CEO and president of ONR, which is a customer experience consulting firm. Jason, welcome to the show. Shep, nice to be here. Thank you for having me on. I uh, look forward to having some engaging conversation with you over the next little bit. Yeah, well, we're going to do it. I first need to know about the carnival-like atmosphere at a grocery store. Oh, Shab, it was a one-of-a-kind experience, okay? L- let me just give you the, the, the high-level the high overview of it. You'd walk into this grocery store, and there were clowns at the entrance, balloons everywhere. This was a massive, think uh, size of Costco, right? Okay. Grocery store. Big, and huge. Big. And everyone was dressed in a particular performer outfit. So I had this sort of clown suit, pinstripe clown working behind the meat counter. And it was like every day there would be prizes being given away. There were soda fountains. People were passing out free soda. It was just loud, loud. There was stuff on the floor, thrown on the floor. It was, it was just Im- incredible. But what I really found was interesting is that the sense of excitement that you could create through going to the grocery store. It was, it was, it took it out of the mundane and put it into the experiential. And so you wanted to go there, not necessarily because you only got good product at a good price, but you wanted to go there because you were excited to see what they would be doing this weekend, what was going to be special, what was going to be different. And so it was, I can tell you on an average weekend, you literally could not move in Super Carnival, okay? And you literally, you were boxed in. It was just packed with different people, different ethnicities, different, just every walk of life. 
And are they still around today? They were originally a company that was based out of Montreal. And I worked with them when they made their foray into um, basically English speaking Canada, which was Ontario. And they were quickly acquired by sort of the major brand within Ontario because they saw them as such a threat. And that brand was called Loblaws. So they were there for a year or two and then boom, they were just bought out. Right. I like it. So, so the competitor said, well, gosh, if we can't beat them, let's buy them. So yeah, exactly. I, uh, so I've got to know the first thing I thought about when you were saying, it, it's like, I walked in clowns to the left of me, jokers yeah, to the right. right. Here I am stuck in the middle in the with middle. you. That's exactly <laughs> that. And the music, it was loud. It was exactly that. And it, it was, yeah. So that was an inspiration. And, and I think you, you said it perfectly, mundane to experiential. That is a perfect way to describe what I think many companies need to be thinking about in order to take their game to a higher level of customer experience. Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely correct. And I think COVID has really impacted that as well, because what we're going to see from COVID is that customers' expectations have evolved over the last year and a half. And they're different now. What they think, what brands used to think their customers want are no longer the same. Their environment has changed over the last nine to 12, maybe even more than 12 months in some areas of the world. And so that has created new preferences. And tell me about what was, uh, let's get specific. kind of a bullet point list, if you will. What was it before? What is it now? Well, I think you can look at different industries and have very different approaches. So let's take luxury or high-end retail, right? They were very focused on that in-store experience, right? Suddenly, boom, stores closed. Neiman Marcus caught with their pants down, right? They don't, they don't really have a digital platform and the digital experience that's built out to be robust that actually emulates the in-store experimental experience that they wanted to provide their customers and boom, there's a problem. You look at it from another perspective, most companies- Did they solve the problem, by the way? They, well, first of all, they went bankrupt, but they're definitely, they see the problem now and then they have to accelerate. Macy's the same problem right? But Macy's was a little bit further ahead. So they were able to much better weather the storm. And if you look at the Macy's last quarter's numbers, they, they, yeah, they're off, they're out of the, out of control, extremely big. Exactly. And what helped them was that they were further along than say a Neiman Marcus, right? And they're putting out their digital footprint and that helped to keep them going. So but you Neiman had- was already in trouble before the pandemic. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Many retailers, I think actually, uh, and I'd love your opinion on this, um, many retailers, and this isn't just about retail. I think if you think about the discussion we're having and say, okay, I'm in the B2B world, I'm in a manufacturing industry, the numbers may not be the same conceptually, though, you got to understand what's going on. So many retailers were really, really struggling with how to figure things out. I think the pandemic, while some of them perished, Mm-hmm. They were on their way anyway. Uh, and, and I think some of them accelerated. They, I hate to use that word pivot. They became flexible yep. and tried some new things and also adopted existing technologies that, you know, uh, 
five years from now, we would be there today without the pandemic. It's just accelerated everything. So what is your thought about that? Well, I think the, the companies that were forward thinking had already started their um, thought process in moving in this direction. And COVID just literally, one of the things COVID did was accelerate digital transformation for many of these companies that were on the cusp of, right? And moving mm-hmm. in that direction. It accelerated. But what it did on the other side, which I thought, which I thought was actually um, very interesting, is that you COVID also had a secondary impact. And what that secondary impact was, it put a lot of power in the hands of people that were not necessarily acquainted or had the experience or or knowledge or know-how of how to handle that situation. And I'll give you an example. Frontline employees, okay? All of a sudden, you had employees that were, their role prior to the pandemic was simply to cash a customer out of a retail location. Now, their job was to stand and monitor traffic, right, into a store, right? With and that gave them enormous amounts of power. And some, and I saw this from my personal experience, some people handled that responsibility very well. Others, many others did not. And what they created was an area of friction between the brand and the customer because of the way this situation was handled. And looking back, just, and looking at how things were handled, Many of these brands are still not going to understand coming out of the pandemic, the impact and the role that has played in turning their customers off of their brand, both in the short term and potentially in the long term, because of the lack of thinking and forethought of when they had to pivot effectively. The chef, what do you think of that? Well, so that's good. What the, so you're, you're focused mostly on retail and I know that's where a lot of your, I mean, that's what your company does. No, no, we're actually focused on B2B. We have retail. Absolutely. But B2B is a big part of this and I haven't even touched B2B yet, but let's, let's slide into that a little bit because so many times the B2B uh, listeners go, all they ever do is talk about retail. I want to get a quick answer to this question, take a break. And we've got a lot more to talk about. I want to talk to you about, um, you know, well, the, the authentic conversations that customers need to have with their brands. I know that's listed on one of the topics we want to cover. Uh, how major brands that we all recognize, and I think it's more in the retail space. I want to talk about how they've changed their game and customer experience. You've hinted what retailers have had to do, but I think it's in any other uh, business as well. So you asked me, what, what did you ask me? There, I'm a terrible interview. <laughs> What do you think about that? Did you have any personal experience when you were walking into these stores in that environment where, you know, you had these people dictating how you would navigate their store, specifically what aisle you could go up and down and how, when you can enter and when you can leave? Well, actually, the stricter they got, the more appreciative I became. Because I felt safer in that mm-hmm. environment than I did where it's like, come on in, take off your mask. And that was before you could take off your mask, mm-hmm. you know, and because there was there were extremes at both ends. Uh, I personally felt that even if I didn't agree with what they were doing, they were doing it 
in the best interest of the overall public. Hmm. And uh, many companies really excelled in that area. Uh, mm-hmm. Many companies excelled. And, you know, I watched a, a restaurant that was just about ready to completely go under. Uh, they said, well, the, you know, I, they looked at the grocery store and they said, well, they can stay open. Why don't we just sell the ingredients yes. of what we make and we'll call ourselves a food store instead of a restaurant. And all of a sudden they're busy again. And yes. they just, people aren't sitting in there and eating. They're picking up their food. And it, it was more than just getting to go orders. It was getting to go orders as ingredients. Yeah. Of, what, um, was, was that, was that company you just gave the example of, was, were they a mom and pop shop or were they, they were a mom and pop? Yep. And I think mom and pop shops did an exceptional job by and large adapting to the rules and having to pivot to continue to be in business. And that, that entrepreneurial skill set is so vital. And I, what you just shared with me is a great example of that. They're just ability, their ability to think out of the box and make things happen. I think they're one of the companies uh, or types of companies that I think did better than many expected through this pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the big restaurant chains were struggling. You know why? You're right. It was ones there were there are certain big companies out there, huge companies that can quickly adapt, but they're few and far between. Where smaller is more nimble. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the authentic conversation. I want to learn from you exactly what you mean by that. And what can I say? This is Amazing Business Radio. We're talking with Jason Tenpal, and we are having fun. Don't go away. We're coming right back. Cult is not a scary word. My book, The Cult of the Customer, proves it. It helps you design a strategy to lead customers and employees through five cultural phases or cults. And good news, I've revised and updated the book. The new edition, The Cult of the Customer, is available for purchase now. It features case studies, tips, and tactics to guide you on the journey from uncertainty to amazement and build a customer-focused culture, a cult of the customer. So what are you waiting for? Go to www.cultofthecustomer.com. Go there today and order. Join the cult that turns satisfied customers into customer evangelists. The cult of the customer. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Jason Tenpao, who is the CEO and the founder, president of ONR, a CX consulting firm, and he is sharing his wisdom and a little bit of his wit with us today. So thanks. And yeah, I keep wanting to call him Ronan because on the screen where we're doing the interview, it's, it, it says, Ronan, is that like a sci-fi name or something? You know, and he goes, no, that's my son's name. So <laughs> his son was on the Zoom program before he was. All right. Authentic conversations. This is really important as you talk about experience and branding. Let's talk about your definition of that. Authentic conversations, the conversations that you have that go beyond, are you satisfied and did you buy, right? It's like how the the authentic conversations is what can I do to create a deeper connection between you and I so that our relationship is unbreakable so that even if a competitor comes into the marketplace that offers a superior product, I am still so committed to your brand 
right? And I'm so committed to you as an organization because your values align with mine. You provide me with an emotional connection that's so strong that I can't think of even what my life would be like if I didn't have you in my life. And I think these are authentic conversations that we have with our significant other, but they're authentic conversations. If you want to have a deep, meaningful, loyal customer, you have to have those types of relationships because if you don't, you are missing a huge opportunity to understand what your wants, needs, and desires are of your customers. And you're also missing an opportunity to pivot, to make decisions and to take actions that will actually lead to long-term and sustainable revenue and profits. Is this one-on-one or is it scalable? It's absolutely scalable. It must be scalable, but it has to, at the end of the day, come back and be grounded in that one-on-one conversation. Why? Because those one-on-one conversations are always the most important, the most grounding, the most deep, and the most nurturing. Companies like to think that they can put the customer off to the side and run their business separate from understanding what the wants, needs, and desires of their customers are. I don't know how that could be, but yeah, uh, it's yeah. It, but it's just not possible. Mm-hmm. And you have to take the time. Listen, we have we've gone through an enormous growth in digital transformation over the last twelve months. People have invested so much into their digital platforms and tools, yet they've spent very little money. Can by comparison to understand did their customers want these number two and how effective was it in meeting the wants needs and desires of their customers so that's the first thing that people have to start talking about and having conversations within business about yeah tech and the tech team had to play a pivotal role in getting this stuff up as quickly as possible but now the rush to get stuff up quickly is starting to dissipate. Now the real question is, I need to get from quick, I need to get to good. And what does the good look like? And in order to understand what good looks like, you actually need to talk to your customers to understand what their wants, needs, and desires are, because they will tell you very clearly what is good, what they want, and what they need. Yeah, I I have a magic question I love to ask clients. And this is more, you know, I'm in the service industry. We provide a service. You know, we I go out and speak for a living at an event or we, you know, create training programs for our clients. Anyway, we ask them, if we were to get together a year from now, what would have to happen for you to feel that this was a great success? And they create uh, the success criteria for us. And if we can give them what they ask for, that's that's magic. You know? And isn't at, at the end of the day, Chef, isn't that what a relationship supposed to be about, regardless yeah. if it's a consulting business or it's a product business or you're doing business online? If you don't understand your customers, you're you can go with your gut feel all you want, but it'll only get you so far. So let's talk about some companies. I know uh, you mentioned uh, Domino's. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've done an amazing job during this yeah. uh, COVID pandemic, oh, but yeah. there's Grocery store change. We, we, we mentioned them briefly. I think those are the ones that are directing you up and down the aisles a certain direction and yeah. <laughs> only letting certain number of people in the stores. Uh, yep. But then how about Disney and what they've oh. done to change their game? Because oh, wow, man. those are those are big industry uh, types of companies that uh, we can all learn from. Let's start with Disney. Disney, okay, 
Disney, right place, right time, right? Because two years prior, they were planning, they, they, they'd announced plans to launch their, their movie platform, right? Right, to compete with Netflix and Amazon Prime. and Exactly. Yeah, that's Ooh, a big undertaking. That's a big undertaking. And people had questioned the validity of this, right? At the time, they announced it. Two years later, the pandemic hits, right? All of a sudden, it's a genius move. Why? Because guess what? All your parks are closed. And all of a sudden, your five-year plan that I'm going to, you know, we're going to slowly build this up over five years, you're getting that revenue stream in six months, right? But I have to tell them, right? I would love, you know, Disney will come on and say, yeah, we knew this was going to happen. We planned this. Yeah, we planned for the pandemic. <laughs> exactly. But the truth of the matter is right place, right time, right? And they took maximum advantage so kudos for them right they were forward thinking they were prepared the timing was right and they struck so but great important, i think you said earlier it's like they were just about to ease into it and what they did is they put their pedal to the metal they metal. accelerated they recognized we can't ease into this anymore that's right hence flexibility uh adoption of existing technologies yeah. and they just grabbed it and said let's just ramp it up so and and a lot of companies didn't have that alternative, right? They didn't have that alternative of, hey, we can pivot this way pretty quickly. But companies that were able to pivot, and I come back, Amazon and Costco did a great job. They, you know, Amazon, they made a killing. Absolutely. Costco was interesting, though, because in many places, they didn't have curbside pickup. Think about it. But they, they were so confident in their logistics system and their ability to get delivery done right, that they could leave the store open, manage the in-store experience, and then provide delivery and skip that middle curbside delivery process. Because the goal was with Costco was to get people in the store because they make those additional purchases, right? right. That's so such important. a huge part. Yeah. I've never the- walked into a Costco or a Sam's club or any yeah. even a grocery store and not bought more than I thought I was going to buy. Absolutely. So Costco, again, th- because they had their logistics and they were confident in it, they were able to rely on that to help backfill the, for the people who didn't want to come to the store. They didn't force them to come to the store halfway kind of and have to, to do the curbside pickup. They could just be delivered straight to their house. And then their in-store experience continued to be fantastic. So there was another company, grocery stores. Oh, grocery stores had to pivot quickly, right? Absolutely. They were able to adapt. They did a really great job, you know, mom and pops. We talked about them earlier. I thought they, they just proved that true, true entrepreneurs, they can make anything happen. If you just give them the opportunity and give them a little time, they can pivot that. Yes, absolutely. There were ones that were, were not successful, but by and large, a lot of them were able to pivot, move out of their comfort zone, right? Things they knew, tried, mm-hmm. tested, and true, and go out. I had rest, mom and pop restaurants introducing new recipes, recipes that would travel better, right? To augment the 
pickup or the delivery process. And they were moving at a rapid pace, like daily they were changing, right? They were evolving on a daily basis. Oh, I need to do this. I need to get a better container. I need to do. So they were making rapid changes, which again was fantastic. And it really showed the ingenuity of the small business. So that was great. The other part that we may not touch on too much, but it's absolutely pivotal doctors in the medical industry. Yeah. We, you know, we're going to have to bring you back and talk about all these different industries. I do want to emphasize something that you're, you're saying, and then I want to ask you the final question to wrap it all up. And the emphasis is this, I believe if you look at, uh, there are many industries that really in the last year and a half or so through the pandemic, they struggled, but Mm -hmm. there's always been somebody in that industry, some say somebody, a company in that industry that seemed to do real well. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, it's, it's not about even survival. It's about their flexibility and, and, and willing to adapt to new ideas and embrace them because that's what it took. Uh, so I watched friends of mine in the uh, restaurant business struggle and some shut down. And we know many restaurants shut down. And yet others, I, there's a restaurant right down the street. He goes, chef, we never laid one person off. We weren't open, but we figured out how to keep them busy in other ways. The delivery, the yep. curbside pickup, uh, new food offerings. It was yep. amazing. All right. We're running out of time. I want to get the one thing question in here. It's a quick zinger. Your last little nugget of wisdom you want to share with us. Okay. The last idea is the companies that are most successful have leaders that are able to acquire and use customer knowledge, knowledge they acquire about the customer and to be able to do that, to make decisions and to take actions based on that. The comp. We did some research that's part of the book Unbreakable that looked at the companies that were leading brands and what differentiated them from other brands. And one of the big differences between the leaders and the ones that follow was their ability to acquire customer knowledge and their ability to apply it, not just leadership, but across their organization. So their entire organization was working organically in symphony because they had the same goals and they had the same level of understanding of the wants, needs, and desires of the customers, which made them work in partnership, even though they may have been siloed to some degree. They were all working with the same goals and minds and the same knowledge. And if a company wants to be a leader, they want to be exceptional and they want to be the best, one of the things that they can do that will make them and accelerate their ability to be the best is that they need to put the customer first and learn about collect, share, and act. Those are the three things around customer knowledge and customer data that will elevate your brand from being just one of the players in an industry to being the leader. Right. So it's collect, share, Share. and act on it. That's right. Love it. Love it. All right. We have been listening to the wisdom of Jason Tenpow. And we thank you. This is why we call it Amazing Business Radio. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Chef, for having me. I hope I get a chance to talk again sometime. We will do it sooner than you think. I can't wait. So everybody, that wraps it up. Another interview. We'll have another great opportunity to talk to another expert next week. Until that time, this is Chef Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.